When I look at a picture of planet Earth taken from space, I don't see a big blue marble or a giant multicolored beach ball. I see a giant pizza with blue cheese and garlic cream sauce, and all the living creatures are trying to get their slice of the pie. I'm Steve Fisher, and this is Life Slices. Weather tonight, dark, turning partly light by morning. George Carlin said that as Al Sleet, the hippy-dippy weatherman. Nick Allard knows something about keeping the weather light. He's the morning and noon on-air meteorologist for Cairo 7 TV in Seattle and my guest on Live Slices. So we're talking to Nick Allard today, who is the morning and noon meteorologist for Cairo 7 TV in Seattle. Why is the term meteorologist? Does weather have anything to do with meteors? No, but it's actually the study of hydrometeors. And you know what that is? No. Rain. Oh. That's all it is. Really? Raindrops. Hydrometeors is, is, a, is, a, is a raindrop. It's as simple as that. And then you add an ologist and it sounds cool. I, I think that's much cooler, though, to say, oh, we're having a... A, a, a hydrometeor storm? Hydrometeor storm. <laughs> well, we kind of live in that pretty much all day, every day around here. Well, not today and not this week. It's, it's amazing outside. But Now, people might look at a weather guy on TV and say, well, you know, how tough a job is that? He shows up once an hour for five minutes or whatever. It's like, what are you doing the rest of the time? Well, in the morning, it's it's really different. In the morning, I have to, so let's see, we're on from 4.30 to 7. So right away, there's already more to do. And so from 4.30 to 7, every, let's see, I have a hit at, just run this down every half an hour. At the top of the 4.30, there's like a 10 or 15 second hit. At 4.38, there's a, you know, anywhere from one minute to two minute hit. At 4.48, there's anywhere from a one minute to two minute hit. And then there's usually one about five minutes later. And then the same thing happens over and over and over, except in the five and six o'clock hour, we add two more hits in there. So it's it's nonstop. And I, I love that. I think that's the only way that I could do it. I've done the night show before and I don't I don't do as well with it. I think that I need to stay really busy. And you can mix in live radio in there as well sometimes. I do some live radio hits, 612, 712, 812. It's it's all the time. Wow. Now that when you're not on air. What are you doing in the background? Usually social media, getting ready for the next hit, depending on what I'm doing. If it's a crazy day, I'm looking at reports. I'm looking at computer models. I'm building the next computer model to put on air. It's It really is a lot. I mean, you're, you're going nonstop. So if, for example, if it were a snow day, I'd be you know on air and then I'd come back and I'd be building the next hit, meaning the graphics behind the scenes, the stuff you see on you know your TV at home. I have to build all that myself. I don't have a producer. I'm just in charge of the computer program. And then I also have to figure out what information goes into it. So, you know, before the show, I'm looking at computer models and I'm trying to figure out what's what I'm, I'm building it all myself. And then I'm making sure it's different from the last hit. So it's it's a lot of changing things, a lot of current conditions, a lot of forecast maps, a lot of computer models. And then there's also social media in there too, because social media is a thing you just, you, it's nonstop. That is something else that is nonstop. You have to do it all the time. And, and you know, when there's, when there's a lot going on, it's really helpful. When there's not a lot going on, usually it's comments about your hair. <laughs> do you get a lot of those? 
I do. I do. I, I kind of have unique hair in the sense that like I, I, I do it all whatever in a certain way that I got done in a barbershop once and it just stuck. And so now, you know, the people say the, the higher the hair, the closer to God or wh- whatever it is. And so, yeah, it's it's unique, but I've made it my thing. Now, and it's funny because if you see me on a Saturday, it looks like I just, you know, fell out of a, a hydro meteor. Well, the, there you go. We all that's a high, I, I love that hydro meteor. <laughs> you may I, use it. I'll I have give to you write it. that down. I think yep. I'm going to have it put on a needle point. It's, uh... You better call legal zoom. Just get it. Just get it now, because I'm sure nobody else has ever thought to. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Now, we have something here, a phenomenon. People who don't live in the Pacific Northwest might not know about this. But we have this phenomenon called microsystems. Oh, yeah. Microclimates. Yep. How difficult does that make it to forecast the weather it's uh it's it's insane i wrote a paper in college and it was about forecasting for say like iowa versus forecasting for western washington and really most of your paper i just described the different versions of microclimates whether it's the convergence zone which we can talk about whether it's the cascades the olympics the fact that you have a town right near the olympics that's the driest place in the state so you have this 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 uh, uh rainforest so then you have squim it's the driest place in the state it's not eastern washington it's squim yeah and so everything in western washington is about elevation is about a microclimate is about you know just differences from neighborhood to neighborhood from whatever it is and so yeah, it's it's very difficult versus a place like Iowa. Now, granted, they get more severe weather, but you have days to watch a weather system coming your way. So if you're if you're looking from west to east, a system has already been through the northwest, has been through the Rockies, and then you're getting it. So you've had days to look at it. If you're seeing a system in our area, it's coming off the ocean, and maybe a buoy gave you a report, and you saw some satellite stuff, and that's it. Nobody's seen it before. So Washington, western Washington is really intense and then you're in eastern washington which i've forecasted for for a long time as well and you might get dust storms and thunderstorms and severe i mean you can get severe weather all over the state and all over the northwest but it's a really complicated place to forecast for yeah i had a situation once when i was just out in the street talking to a neighbor and it started raining on him it but wasn't on raining you. on me. We're standing there like uh, just a few feet apart. It was before social distancing. Right. And I, I actually, and he's standing there getting rained on. I'm totally dry. I said, you might want to step over here. <laughs> well, see, okay. <clears throat> what if I said, what if I said you were going to see partly sunny skies and a few showers? Was my forecast on that day right or wrong? For you, wrong. For him, it was right. So welcome to the conundrum. Weather casters, uh, meteorologists tend to get blamed or thanked for the weather. How often does that happen where people will chastise you for making a wrong call or congratulate you for sun? I think I get thanked more. Uh, you know, like even at Starbucks this morning, getting a coffee on my lunch break, most people would walk by and said, you know, oh, thanks for you know ordering this up, and this, which cracks me up because like I have anything to do with it, but I, I like it. It's their way of sort of connecting and I always appreciate it. And then I get blamed too. Usually I'll get blamed if I, let's see, if I say something was going to happen and then it didn't, you know, I'll, I'll catch the heat on that one. That could be something that I'll catch heat on, which I understand. I mean, we've had major things we forecasted for that didn't happen. And, you know, you spend all this time building up to it. You spend all these 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 valuable weather information segments to say, hey, we're going to get a massive windstorm and then it, you know, 20 mile an hour wind. And that does happen. And there was a, a storm 
see, what are we in 2021? I want to say it's probably 15 or 16. I remember we had pushed it all week and everybody had, I mean, from Cliff Mass to, you know, a local weather guru, the local weather guru to everybody else in town, we all thought it was going to be something big. And it, you know, it still turned out to be a windy day, but not as big as we thought. We were doing all these hits on it. And then even CBS this morning showed up and did a thing with me. And so it was national coverage. And then we had like 25 mile an hour wind, maybe three or four trees down, nothing, nothing bad. And you catch the heat, especially in this era where social media is the modern day equivalent to beer muscles. Instead of having a couple of beers and saying what you wouldn't say to somebody else, you can type it and there's no repercussions at all. Now, I know you work on a weather team where they, all the ads show your weather team. There are four of you, correct? Now there are, yes. And do you have any, is it like a regular office? Do you actually have team meetings it is a regular office. We don't tend to, especially in this this day and age where it's you know hard to uh, be in the same room. If it's a normal non pandemic era, you know, which we'll get back there at some point. Yeah, we'll have meetings. We'll talk about things every day. We'll write a weather note that passes on to the next person. So there's there's some thought behind what we saw. And then that moves on to the next person. So the entire news staff will see my forecast discussion in the morning and then a forecast discussion before I've left. And then the next person on duty would pick that up and then they would just take it and run with it. And if we think something's going on, you know, Morgan Palmer and I are chief meteorologist, the sort of the head of the weather department, and we'll talk nonstop if there's snow, if there's wind, whatever it is. I mean, usually if I'm at work looking at computer models, he's up looking at computer models, or if he sees a change in the afternoon, that's going to affect either the night or the early morning, he's sending me notes and we're talking about it. So yeah, there's there really is regular communication. And I've, I've worked at places where there isn't, and that gets tricky. And I've worked at places where it's really strong, like here, and it makes the forecasting just more cohesive. Now, when you talk about a computer model, what does that actually show? It shows, it depends on what you want to look at. Some computer models can show you something as simple as rain for three hours for the next 84 hours. So every three hours, you can see an increment. Some can show you, you know, vorticity at the 500 millibar level. Some can show you the upper level wind at 300 millibars, the, the jet streaks that can show you uh, helicity, how much rotation you're going to get. You can get how much uplift, how much convective available potential energy or cape there is. You name it. You can look at all sorts of stuff. Some of the computer models make it easy. Like I said, you can just see, well, nine to 12, you'll probably get a tenth of an inch. It just shows rain. But there's still a lot that goes into that, the physics that go into that, which thankfully, I didn't spend a lot of time on in school. We didn't have to because I, I didn't do there's there's broadcast meteorology. There's operational meteorology. So I couldn't today write you a computer model. I would understand what you're putting into it. But the physics behind it would take a little bit for me to brush up on, you know, putting it all together. But um, reading it, diagnosing it, putting it in my own terms, using it from experience, seeing, oh, I remember that we had a system just like this. I think it's going to do this. I don't believe that we'll see it stop all of a sudden. Or, you know, uh, every time the computer models say it'll warm up this quickly, it never does, which actually is true. So there's a lot of stuff that experience and history will put into it as well. But yeah, I mean, computer models will show you whatever you want. You want wind, you want temperature, you want the the upper level support, you, you name it, we can get a look at it. Has the whole weather forecasting system changed a lot over the years? I, I tend to remember as a kid, 
watching these guys on the local news who weren't actually meteorologists. They were just personalities. They still have some of those. You believe, I mean, there are some people in town that aren't, that have been, you know, the, in my opinion, one of the best people that's been on air in the Seattle market, Steve Poole, wasn't a meteorologist. And I thought he was the most uh, conversational, nicest sort of on-air persona. And I watched him my entire childhood, but he was not a meteorologist. He had a meteorologist on staff that would work with him. And also after years and years with experience, you can kind of just start to get it, you know? So he was, he was great at what he did. I thought he was the smoothest person on air. And then you have, you know, Jeff Renner, who's also extremely smooth on air, but was a really smart guy. Well, still is a really smart guy. And Rich Marriott, who was like a mentor to me, who I worked with years ago, also really smart guy, extremely smooth on air, but he's a meteorologist. So you can kind of look at a guy like Steve Bull, who's excellent on air, Jeff and Rich, who are excellent on air, but they have the degree and he didn't. At the end of the day, if you get what you need and you like the person, that still matters the most. But any more bosses, yes, they're they're trying to say they're. I don't know that it's a hard requirement, but I think more and more bosses are saying, you know, you have to have a a degree, you have to have some kind of a seal of certification, whether it's the what used to be the AMS seal, which I have. They've they've done away with getting any new ones, so if you have it, you're grandfathered in or the CBM or the NWA. So there's a lot of options, but um, I think more and more it's becoming the thing you kind of have to have some sort of educational background versus just experience. But a lot of people would be surprised that, oh, X didn't have this or Y didn't have it or whatever it was. That's that's really interesting. I didn't know that because I I remember we did have a guy in New York. uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Tex Antoine. I don't think so. Tex Tex Antoine was like a, a fixture in, in New York at one station for the, for the longest time until he made an unfortunate joke about rape and they, he was booted off air. Never came back. No, I've never heard of him. One of the, I mean, I've heard of guys like uh, Glenn Hurricane Schwartz in Philadelphia. That's a big name. And then I have friends that work at the Weather Channel. They're becoming bigger and bigger names. And, you know, they're, that's the thing is that if you like somebody, that's going to generally drive you to watching them versus if you know their science is great. I mean, if you look from King to Como to me to or to me to Cairo to KCPQ, a lot of us went to the same school. Not everybody. I mean, someone like Shannon O'Donnell went to the UW for atmospheric sciences, and she is a genius with weather. I went to Mississippi State. Morgan went to Mississippi State. Claire at our station went to Mississippi State. So a lot of us have the same similar background, but it's really, I think it's still more about who do you enjoy watching? And sometimes that will even shade or, or, or kind of make you look at the accuracy the way you want it to look at. You know, maybe I wasn't as accurate, but they liked me a little more that day, or maybe they, they liked Morgan and he was, you know, kind of on the cusp of what I had and they would lean towards Hidway. It, it, it's just about personal preference. You know, I think there is a lot to that. I have watched Cairo for years. One of the reasons I reached out to you is because I can't start a day without Cairo Morning News. Oh, thank you. I I mean, that just really gets my day going. And uh, and part of that is the great chemistry on the team. I mean, it just seems like a fun group. And you don't feel like you're watching a staid newscast. You feel like you're in a party. You just happen to get information. That's the goal. I mean, we want to give you what you need. We want to make your day a little easier, but we want to do it with the sense that you're inviting us into your home and that if we were having a beer or if we were having, a, in my case, a, a can of carbonated water, whatever it is, that we could sit here and just chat. I guarantee you, 
me now versus me on air. The only difference is the hair's a little taller and I'm wearing makeup. I'm not going to change it. And I probably, I might act slightly goofier because I'm way too much coffee and it's the end of the day for me. But you're right. I'm just trying to be me. I don't put on a show. I don't put on an act. And I, I think the people at Cairo are really good at that. I mean, all of our team in the morning is that way. Morgan is just a diehard weather guy at night and he knows a ton of stuff and he, he puts it on the air every night and is fantastic with it. So yeah, I, I think, I think that's great. That's what we're going for. You know, you could do it. You could do a new show. You could do a million new shows. Did you remember anything from it? Really? If King's out there doing a story, Como's out there doing a story, KCPQ and Cairo, chances are newscast to newscast, the stories are going to be similar, maybe not exactly, and there may be a slightly different way they're told, or a reporter may have a different angle or different hook, but it's not necessarily that you're going to remember. You're going to remember something from the person that gave it. At least I hope so. Now, you're you're a young guy. I'm 39. We, I'm, I'm getting old with three kids. I'm 170. But I have noticed that a lot of the reporters on air are getting younger and younger every day. And I, I will look at some of the you stand-up reporters and I go, wait, she's 12. It's like, how I is she working? I don't know about that. But, um, you know, I'll give you this. When I left Kennewick, I was the main weather guy at the ABC station in Kennewick. I um, came to North, what was Northwest Cable News. Were you around for Northwest Cable News here? Okay. Oh, yeah. So I worked there for a few years. And Northwest Cable News and King 5 were the same building. So I got lucky to, to be in the same weather centers, Rich and Jeff and everybody that was involved, Rebecca Stevenson, Chris Warren, everybody there that helped me get into the King 5 weather department. But I was 20, let's see, it was the 2006. So I was 25, 24. So I was one of the young ones. I've just been doing it for a while now. Um, I, I think it just depends on what you bring to the table. If, if, if you're ready, you're ready. It doesn't really matter about your age. If you're not, you're not in a show. So even if we're younger, I also think there's, there's something to us getting older. So everybody's younger, you know, I mean, you want someone that has experience. You want someone that you've been with for a while, you know, is, is whether they're a local or whatever it is, they're invested in the market. But a lot of the people that we've been hiring, if they are, you know, young and your determination, they're from here. And so they, they bring something else, you know, like um, one of our most recent hires, Lauren Donovan is fantastic. She's from here. I don't even know how old she is to tell you the truth, but she may, she may be one that you might consider younger, but she's fantastic. She does a she is great job yeah. on air and it, the age doesn't really matter. So I, I think that's kind of where, you know, managers are. I'm not a manager. I never have been. I don't claim to be. So I think it's about what they can do, what they can bring, their knowledge of the area, how much they're passionate about it. Um, and I, I just think that that's the element of I've become the old guy, too. When I left Seattle to go to Portland, I think I was 20, 29 as a main weather guy in the morning. And everybody was at least 10 or 15 years older. And I was the young guy. It's it's 10 years later. And that's the other way around. You you went to a very pre- prestigious school, the Edward R. Murrow School of Communications. Mm-hmm. What was your course of study? As far as I know, they don't have a meteorology. They don't. No, I mean, for me, it was, I went there for journalism. And at first I thought I would do some version of sports. You know, I I think that that's what a lot of kids my age wanted to do. In fact, for me, it was as simple as I was waiting for a friend to pick me up for baseball practice. And uh, he was a little late. ESPN News was a new thing. Sports Center had been on for a long time, but ESPN News was kind of a new thing. And I was just waiting for him and watching it. And I honestly said, I'll just do that. 
It was as simple as that. But then I had to figure out where to go. And I remember touring, I toured Western and the guy was like, what do you want to do? And I told him, he's like, what are you doing here? I was like, what do you mean? He said, you're, you're at the wrong school, buddy. And he told me to go to Wazoo. Um, and so, you know, I toured it. They had amazing equipment. It just felt right. I don't know. It, it just fit in. So for me, you, you were in basically a liberal arts degree. So you're, you're studying all your basic gen eds, everything like that. Um, you know, you study uh, a lot of history of communication, a lot of theory, and there's also a lot of hands-on activity, which for me was great. Cause in high school at first, I wasn't that good of a student. It took till about midway through my sophomore year to figure out I better get, you know, my, my button gear. But by then I was a really good student at school, especially because it was hands-on. It was learning how to use microphones. It was learning how to use editing equipment, learning how to shoot, learning how to do all this, that, and the other thing. And so there's on air, there's behind the scenes. And I actually split my degree. I was, I was, um, what they call it is a, a degree in communication, but the emphasis is broadcast news. And for me also broadcast production. So I could, I, I worked for Fox sports for a number of years. I've worked for ESPN behind the scenes doing just camera. You know, like if you go to a sports game, if you go to a football game and you look at this, the roof, you're going to see these just massive cameras. I was one of those for, I don't know, three years or something like that, three or four years. So I got a lot of hands-on from that. And I also studied, like I said, being on air, anchoring, writing, writing and writing and more writing, which is really important for journalism. And then there's, you know, media law and there's and there's ethics and there's all that kind of stuff. In fact, I just had a conversation with someone in our union the other day and they brought up an example of what somebody called defamation. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. They didn't prove actual malice. He's like, wait a minute. You know, New York Times versus Sullivan. I'm like, yeah. And it's more about if somebody's in the public eye, you have to say whoever committed the, you know, the defamatory remarks or was libelous, whatever it is, you have to show they had actual malice because somebody in the public eye is held to a different standard. So I learned all that at Wazoo. It was fantastic. Now, at some point, they may have a meteorology program, but I don't think they do. And so if you go there, you learn all that, and then you have a, a nightly newscast you can be part of. They have a, a, a student-run cable station that you can do video shows to comedy shows to sketch comedy to what did social commentary all sorts of stuff it, it's non-stop i did a ton of that stuff and then of course you have the coursework where you're on air so yeah it, it just fit it just really fit for me what point did you say hmm, meteorology is the way to go it's as simple as this when i was a junior i was doing the first on-air portion of the class like i think my sophomore year was the radio journalism. So you, you spent a lot of time in radio. And then my junior year, because I tried to do it ahead of time so I could do it twice if I needed to, because I, I wanted to um, practice as much as I could, uh, was the television side of news. So I did that. And when I was on the air, I, for the life of me at first, if it was nervous energy, if it was just inexperienced, had a really hard time reading the teleprompter. I could do it. It just wasn't very smooth. There were unnatural breaks. There were places that I'd go too fast and, you know, you get to the top of your voice and all of a sudden you got to take a deeper breath without exhaling. And all of a sudden you can't get another breath and you're talking about it and you just keep going and going. And so it just wasn't good. So I remember when we were getting a chance to do weather, we had our own green screen. We had our own graphics. There wasn't a teleprompter for that. And it was simple as, oh, my gosh, this is so much easier. I just started trading shifts. I'm like, hey, do you want me to anchor or can I do weather? Like, oh, I'd rather anchor. I'm like, I'd rather do weather. And it. It just started like that. And then I realized, well, I don't know what in the heck I'm talking about. 
I mean, I can I can kind of BS with the best of them, but I still don't know what I'm saying for 90 seconds or two minutes or whatever it is. So then I realized that I needed to study meteorology. So I finished my senior year. I kept working on what they call your resume tape and you have to put everything together to get a job, did an internship on air where I was a reporter. I still thought to do this, I would be some version of a reporter. And that's usually how you have to start out. But as soon as I got a job at a station, I, I not only was reporting on air every day, but I was also their fill in weather guy. And I started at Mississippi State. So I started studying right away. How do you get from Washington to Mississippi State? The internets. It was all online. Yeah, we didn't have that. I know. We barely had it when I was doing it. I was, they were still sending us DVDs. You know, this is 2003. So they were still sending us DVDs of uh, basically of instructors. And then they would give you, you know, coursework. Some of it was online, but a lot of it, they still mailed you books. You still had to buy books like anything else. You still had workbooks, you still, all this stuff. But yeah, that from 2000, and th- maybe it was four, say 2004, 2007, I was doing online with uh, Mississippi State, but still working full time. What was the path from school to where you are today? The path was, so when I was in school, I did an internship with a uh, a station in Yakima, CAP, K-A-P-P-A-B-C, Channel 35. And the reason why I did it is the news director at the time, a guy named Mike Baumelli, uh, is a Coug, was the news director then. And he's, he allowed Cougs that could show they could do it on air. So I thought, okay, well, I, I, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to try to get there. So I applied, I actually got the sister station at first in the Tri-Cities because it's a dual market. So you have Yakima stations, you have Tri-City stations Uh, and they were going to send me to the Tri-Cities, but he wasn't there. And I was afraid I wouldn't get any guidance. And so I I convinced them to let me go to Yakima. And right away, if you do a, a, a certain type of news story where you kind of package it all together onto a tape, if you show it to him, he will let you on air. So every day I was out with my own camera, my own car, shooting, editing, writing, and doing stories. I wasn't always on air because the interns still weren't as good as the reporters, not even close. But I was doing that every day. So I did that for the entire summer. Uh, got a great tape out of it. Learned how to do some good stories. You get used to the crazy lifestyle of shooting and editing three or four stories a day by yourself. And writing them. And, you know, sometimes after you've written them, then you have to go on air and do them again and be live someplace. So I did all that. Went back to school for my senior year and was the the teacher's assistant for both those classes, the production class and the news class. Because You get to do it again that way. And after that, the sister station that originally wanted me to be the intern, I got a job there as a reporter. I have a side story I could tell you later about what to do and what not to do when you have job offers when you're first starting out. But that's a different thing. But so, yeah, I started there was a reporter. Same thing. You're out running every day. You're doing three, four stories. Sometimes they're with sound bites. Sometimes they're just video. Sometimes there were sound bites, video, and your voice all combined. So you can have like a package, a couple of Vosots and a VO. And, and you're doing all that by yourself. You're in your own car. You're in your own crummy gear. And then you come back and you write it, you edit it, and then you're live someplace. And you just do that every day. And then the next day, you have to be responsible for stories. So you have to come up with what you're going to do. You have to come up with just ideas that they won't make fun of you for having and that you can actually that are actionable things you can turn them that day but i i found out pretty quickly that that wasn't for me i'm good at it like i could i could shoot i love shooting i was okay enough at writing to get it done i like editing i i wasn't thrilled with a couple things one the we called it chasing geese where the bosses might say and you know god bless them they were just trying to fill a newscast so i don't hold any grudges against them at all 
it'd say, you know, saw this pond or something today. I think it was a pond. I don't know. It looked like it was frozen. I mean, what if people fall into that? And I was like, what? Go do a story on it. That'll be our lead. Huh? And so I remember going to the city. They're like, that's okay. I guess that's technically a pond. It's been here for 120 years. Nobody's ever fallen into it. And so we don't have any rules against you. If you want to ice skate on it, go for it. And I come back and tell my bosses, they're like, no rules. What does that tell you as a journalist? That it's not a story. But because of where we were and what we had to do, we still had to turn it into something. So I didn't like that part at all. I thought that part was unnecessary, but also necessary. And I didn't want to be a part of it. The other part was you had to do some pretty negative stuff or at least be involved with negative stuff. You know, there could be a murder, suicide, there could be you name it. And then you're supposed to go ask at least that was the small market idea. It's not what we're doing now. It's not at all what Cairo does. And I'm not even trying to besmirch journalists, but you may have to interview a family member that just lost somebody. How does that make you feel? Well, how the hell do you think it makes me feel? I mean, I, I, I never really understood how that furthered the story. So my, one of my last stories was a, a murder-suicide in Pendleton. So for us, we drove an hour to get down there. There are two dead bodies in the road. It's just me with a camera. We didn't have enough live gear to get out there. And even if we did, live gear wouldn't have worked the way it does now out there. So it's just me and I'm going to do an interview on the phone or you know, do a, a story over the phone uh, in the newscast. And the family shows up. I, I only knew it was the family because the police officers are like, oh, I think this is the family. And they weren't really saying it was a murder-suicide yet, but they were kind of hinting at it. And they weren't giving you a lot because what they call the PIO or the public information officer wasn't there. So the family shows up and you can tell it's them. And I'm still the only media person there. And my boss is like, well, you know, see if you can see if you can talk to the family. And, you know, if it, if it makes sense to kind of help the story, see how they're doing or what's going on or what they're thinking. I was like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. So I walked up to the family and I said, look, I think you're the family. You don't even have to tell me if you are. I, I don't even want to understand or even pretend to understand. I know what you're going through. I'm supposed to ask you questions, but I'm not going to. Here's my card. If you feel like talking at some point, you can. If there's something you want to say, if this is truly a family member that might not get out and you'd like it to, you can. And I also want to warn you that there will be others here soon asking you questions. And others did come and they did their job. They asked them questions and the family wouldn't talk to them. And then a day or two later, the family calls my boss and says, thank you. You know, I want to say thank you to Nick because he didn't bother us in that time of need. I still think at the end of the day, that boss wanted me to have something from them, but I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. And there are ways where doing that furthers the story. The journalists we have in Seattle are amazing because it's not about like, oh, show me your tears. It's more about what are we, what are we missing here? What was this person like? What, you know, what, what is the world going to be missing now? And so there's a way to do it, but the way I needed to do it there, I couldn't. And that was the last heavy news story that I did. And I was just thankful that I never had to go do that again. It just wasn't for me. My chat with Nick Allard is not done. Join us on part two for what he thinks of weather reporters reporting live in a storm, what it's like reporting from a dark sports stadium, being part of a morning news team, and more on the next Life Slices. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beat Nick Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. 